The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. California State University, Los Angeles professor, Melina Abdullah. She has a clear message for us. Stop calling the police on black people. She tweeted it out, then she even pinned it. Don't call the police on black people. She repeated it seven times. I don't know if you do that in front of a mirror and I'm not sure what happens, but that was her message. I I don't I mean, does it matter if she repeats it? I mean, are people not listening? They have fingers plugging their ears. Are they they're going to read it only once or not read it unless you write it seven times? Her instructions are pretty clear. You know, don't call the police on black people. Now, she could have used the extra space for facts or statistics to make her point. But like academics uh, of today's world, why do that? Are we not supposed to call the police if black people are in trouble? Are we not supposed to call the police if a black man is being beaten by another black man? Does this mandate apply strictly to black people? What happens if the majority of, like in democratic cities, the majority of the police force, including all the higher-ups, all the way up to the mayor, are themselves black? What if the responding officer is black? I don't know what to do now, because all I've been told is, don't call police on black people. Inarguably, Abdullah's attitude contains a clear hatred of the police. Ms. Abdullah describes herself as a professor and chair of Pan-African Studies. This is going to get good. At Cal State Los Angeles. Hashtag Black Lives Matter organizer, Pan-Africanist, hip-hop scholar. Not really sure. I'm not really sure if that works. She's a womanist. A truth-teller and a mama. Her Twitter page is exactly what you would expect, a hate-filled racist thread of accusation and activism in stories of black supremacy. Hmm, wait a minute, black supremacy? Her entire existence seems premised on the idea that blackness is supreme and whiteness is wrong. Wow, that sounds racist! But it also sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Can I just talk to people who are in this boat? Aren't you tired of being outraged by everything? I I think you're addicted to outrage. And it's really, it's got to be tiring to view every single aspect of life as racist or sexist or transphobic or whatever the phobia is that you are saying that whatever it is, that coffee cup is telling you. For, 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 for Professor uh, Melina Abdullah, make no mistake, this is war. She is fighting a war. Her life is war. And she is teaching our college students exactly how to look at their world. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Keep writing the check. It's Call Tuesday, them. May 15th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to Sarah Gonzalez, who is the host of the News and Why It Matters. Yesterday, uh, she told us a story of a 
a, a horrific story of a, a death here in Texas. And the premise is, if you've been following what's going on in, uh, in England with the death of the children, where these hospitals are just making decisions, Sarah, death panels are here? Uh, they are. Many people follow uh, what was going on in the UK and they say, you know, well, we, we need to be careful because usually what happens in the UK starts to trickle to the United States. So we just need to keep an eye on it. Well, we've let some things slip under the radar. And, you know, we do have death panels in Texas of all places, which is really disappointing because, you know, you think of Texas as this freedom loving state. Um Unshockingly, the death panel is not actually called a death panel. So, <laughs> really? Well, because death panels don't exist. Right, right. right so, right, right. but I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're called we have death panels. What are they? Ethics panels? Yes. Ethics yes. panels. Ethics panels. So it's much very, better than a death panel. Yes. Because it would at any, at any point in time be ethical to consider terminating someone's life. Right. You know, who right. wants to stay alive. Right. Okay. So you told us the story of, um, of um, Chris Dunn. Yes. Who was. A, a an EMS guy. Yes. I mean, he was a paramedic. He was he was going out and helping people his whole life. Yes. He he had some growth on his pancreas. They didn't even do a biopsy or anything else. They just termed him terminally ill. Right. Put him on a a, a breathing tube for some unknown reason. He wasn't having problems breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then said, "You got to turn off the machine." After he became, there's only a certain amount of time that you can be on a, a ventilator before you are dependent on that ventilator for the rest of your life. Correct. Soon as he was dependent on it, they said, yeah, we're going to have to turn off the machine. And there was still no diagnosis. Right. Correct. And meanwhile, uh, they had a hospital advocate who was talking to his mother and telling his mother that her number one priority needed to be to sign up for Medicaid. Uh, and she said, my number one priority would be, you know, my son who's laying in that hospital bed. And um, she said, why are you so insistent that I do this? And the hospital advocate told her because Houston Methodist needs to get paid. So, wow, yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, the mother is with us. Her name is Evelyn Kelly. She's the mother of uh, Chris and Joe Nixon, who is the attorney. They are suing. Uh, I believe I believe that they do have a lawsuit. Okay, uh, Evelyn, welcome to the program, and Joe Nixon. Thank you Hi, very much, Evelyn. Uh, Evelyn, I want to start with you. First of all, I am uh, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I can't believe this happened in Texas. Um, can you can you tell me? Did they ever confirm any diagnosis? They were treating him with for terminal cancer. Did they do any tests and ever confirm cancer? Well, they came into my room, and they never sent a cancer doctor to Chris until about, I think it was about two weeks before he passed away. And because I kept, they kept telling me when I would not allow them and take his right to life, stop them from giving him those two deadly shots, um, I would not uh, allow them to do that. And so they said, then they started with, Chris is eat up with cancer. Chris has pancreatic cancer. And I said, no, he doesn't. And they, they kept telling me this every day, all day long. And I said, okay, then send us a cancer doctor. Send Chris a cancer doctor. I never saw a cancer doctor. And so two weeks before he passed on, they finally sent that cancer doctor. 
and she walked into his room. She stood over his bed, and she never acknowledged me because I was sitting. I stayed there 24 hours a day, at least six days a week, and only went home one day a week. And she didn't even acknowledge me. She she stood over his bed, and she um, I walked. I finally walked up to her at the the head of Chris's bed, and I said, "Can I help you?" Because I didn't know who she was, and so she said, "Miss Kelly." My name is Dr. So-and-so, and I'm the head doctor of um, the cancer department here at Methodist Hospital. And she said, um, I'm here to diagnose your son. And I said, okay. So I'm waiting for this doctor to pull the covers back and examine him or show me, prove to me somehow, some way that, you know, what they had been telling me, that he was eat up with cancer, give me some kind of proof. And so... She just looks at me and she said, I'm diagnosing Chris with stage four advanced pancreatic cancer. And I said, what? You haven't even pulled the covers back, lady. You haven't examined him and you're going to write in this chart out in the nurse's area that that Chris has got advanced stage four pancreatic cancer. And she said, yes, ma'am, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I said, well... That is just amazing. I said, she, I said, How, you can just tell by looking at somebody they've got stage four pancreatic cancer. And she said, Miss Kelly, I was a, a doctor, a cancer doctor at MD Anderson for 13 years. I know pancreatic cancer when I see it. I said, well, Shazam. <laughs> MD Anderson didn't know what they lost when they lost you, girl. And Evelyn, and so, Evelyn, if you can cor- correct me if I'm wrong, um, didn't they, they looked for cancer markers in his blood and that always came back negative? Every day. They kept taking blood, 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 more blood. So finally one day I'm going, what in the world are y'all doing with all this blood? And the nurse said, well, we're actually looking for cancer markers. And until Chris passed on, they never found any cancer in his blood. So, so tell me about when the ethics panel came in and told you that uh, they were going to turn off the machine. Well, that was uh, first that this doctor, this very famous doctor at Methodist, it was a pancreatic liver doctor, came in after Chris was there for a few weeks. And he told me, he said, Miss Kelly, he said, I've looked over all of Chris's tests and they did a jillion tests. And he said, um, I've looked over all of his tests. I'm going to take this tube out of his throat. I'm going to put a trach in his in the base of his throat. I'm going to operate on Chris's pancreas. He said, um, the reason for the throwing up is there's a mass that's wrapped around the small intestine. I'm going to take out some of the small intestine. He said, if I can save Chris's uh, pancreas, I will. But it's not the, the, the tumor is not in his pancreas, it's attached to his pancreas. He said, but if I have to take the whole pancreas out, I'll take it out. And I said, well, wait a minute. I didn't think you could live without your pancreas. He said, that's a lie. You can, but it's gonna, he, he will be a severe diabetic from that point on. And he said, Chris is going to be just fine. Well, I'm waiting the next day for this doctor to show up. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. I keep asking, where's Dr. So-and-so? And they just kept putting me off, put me off. Days after that, I'm sitting on the couch 
I'm in there with Chris sitting on that couch, and I have about 10 people standing above me looking down at me. And this this president of the Essex Committee, he hands me these formal papers. He said, Miss Kelly, I am um, the president of the Essex Committee here at Methodist Hospital. And he gave me his name, and he said, um, we are going to uh, come in here. That was on a Friday. He said, we're going to come in here on, on this coming Tuesday. We're going to take everything off of Chris, and my nurse right here is going to administer two drugs that we call comfort care, mm. and Chris is going to pass on within eight to ten minutes. And I'm going, say what? You're going to do what? And I got him to repeat it because I didn't think I heard him correctly. And he he told me exactly what he had said before. And I said, who gives you the right to kill my son? He goes, oh, Miss Kelly, we don't call it that. He said, this is comfort care. I said, you can call it whatever you want to, Bubba, but I call it death. That is my son you're talking about. And he, I said, who gives you that right? And he goes, George Bush gave me that right. I said, when he was governor of Texas or president of the United States? And he said, when he was governor, this bill went past his desk. He signed it, making it into a law. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break. And then, and Joe, I want to have you chime in. I want you to tell me about the ethics panel, because this is the death panel that we warned about. Um, the ethics panel, who are these people? What are their qualifications? Uh, and do they have the right to and life that they think is not worthy of living or too costly to um, keep going. This is exactly the argument we made when we warned against Obamacare. We have Joe Nixon uh, on the phone. He's a partner at Ackerman LLP. He's a well-respected attorney here in, uh, the, uh, in the state of Texas. Because there is something that Chris Dunn's death and Evelyn Kelly, who's also with us on the phone, uh, his mother, uh, has brought to our attention. And that is the Texas Advanced Directive Statute, which which means that a doctor or a hospital can terminate life and terminates uh, sustaining treatment if the doctor disagrees with continuing care. And that's when these death panels come in. Now, they're called ethical panels here in texas but joe is there any is there any doubt these are death panels no chris uh good morning and thanks for having us on i think evelyn told you a great uh story about how these things actually work you know a a patient who is is suffering and very ill they're, they're either patient or the family members are told that the doctor does not want to continue care. So who's, what is the qualification for getting on the committee? There are no qualifications for getting on the committee. That's what's so shocking and scary about this situation. So, you know, we have in statute the authorization of a hospital to put together an ethics panel there are no qualifications to be on the panel. You're not required to be a doctor. You're not required to be a minister. You're not required to be anything. You can be on this panel. Do you know who's the on doctor. the Do they have to disclose who's on the panel? No. <laughs> no. What, a, what about... 
What about uh, any, if the doctors have any kind of conflict of interest, like if they own part of the hospital or anything like that? Well, no. I mean, you know, there's always the potential for conflict of interest in that the doctor is employed by the hospital. The other people on the panel may be employees of the hospital. Uh, the hospital may have a financial interest in, you know, terminating care because it's expensive. You don't so, know these things. So is there a standard of, so we don't have any qualifications. We can't know who's on the panel. And is there, is there any standard of proof that they have to meet? No. Oh my gosh. What? Well, I mean, this is crazy. We're talking about life and death. Right. That's what's so, that is what's so problematic about this statute. So we sued Methodist on behalf of Evelyn and Chris and claimed that the the hospital was denying Chris of his due process rights to life guaranteed under the constitution. Uh, You know, you have a nameless, faceless committee without a standard of care, without a standard of proof, making a decision. And what's, what's shocking is, is that, you know, in Chris's situation, he was very ill. And, and he died like five weeks after they told Evelyn they were going to invoke the process in the statute. But, you know, there's no requirement in the statute that you be terminally ill. It is possible they could say, we're not going to give you care to a person who is capable of walking out of the hospital. All right. Um, I just posted this story up on my Facebook page. Sarah did a, a, a really good digest of this whole story. But this law has to be changed. It is the Texas Advanced Directive Statute, and it has to be changed. Uh We'll continue to follow this and bring you updates as we go forward. Check out this story at theblaze.com and on my Facebook page at Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.